All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Did you hear that update from Dave Murray on the weather overnight? More snow possible? Just a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, they're really, I expected there to be a little bit more this morning. Where I lived, there, there was not much, but he nah. said maybe a half inch to an inch on the uh, on the grass, not on the roads, Roads right? are too warm. Yes. Uh, it was, I don't know if he got out a little bit today. It looked like it was deceptive, I thought, because it looked like it was warmer than it was. The wind was whipping up, and yeah. it felt yeah, yeah. very, very cold. So we are, you know, I was just mentioning this to Sue. Hopefully we're going to be on track for Fish Fry Fridays again, where we went out last year and we visited a bunch of area fish fries, interestingly enough, on Fridays yes, uh, go during, during Lent. And we had a great time. And at one of those, you know, Fallon, I think it might have been the last one, Sue, we met Bud Hedeke. He's a World War II veteran pilot, and he was just back from an interesting trip. And we, we all felt afterwards, and, and Bud, he, he's older, right? I think yeah. I might say his age here. Okay. But it was a really interesting and inspirational conversation. Hey, how about this guest that we have with us sitting across the table from me here in our little um, area outside of the VFW Hall? It's Bud Hedeke, who is with the Mighty 8th Air Force. Bud is 97 years old. Is that true? I'll be 98 in a month. Okay. So can we round up? Okay. 98 years old. How are you, Bud? Thank you so much for coming to see us. I'm fine. I'm fine. I just got back from Europe. Six days ago. That's what I heard. You were in Belgium? Belgium and Germany. I went back to where I was shot down. I uh, went to Bastogne. Uh, we were in a little pub, and I was telling the people in there, they put our pictures up on the wall in the pub. There's about 200 pictures. How awesome GIs. is that? So if you ever get to Bastogne, and you look at that wall, you can say, I'd be a dirty bird. There's Bud. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that is so incredible! Wow. Well, let's let's hear the story then. You know, you were shot down. So let's get a little um, World well, War II history was, here. How did you get there, and then what happened? Okay, thank you. I was with the 452nd Bomb Group, 730th Squadron, Diefen Green Airfield near Norwich, England. I flew 23 combat missions and three food drops to the people of Holland. And uh, on our first mission to Ham, H-A-M-M, Germany, we were shot down. On oh, the a, very first mission? Wow. Yeah, very first. It's a good way to learn. You get a lot of respect. <laughs> and uh, when I say shot down, we didn't go down direct, but we glided, ran out of fuel, okay. and crossed the German lines and crashed in St. Troiden, Belgium. And uh, part of the tour was St. Troiden. Went to the old field, it was all grown over with weeds. I did not remember, how could I? But uh, it sent chills through me. I can imagine. Wow. And uh, stayed there four days. And uh, side note, if you want to hear it, the guys wanted to go to Brussels, so we did. And I didn't smoke, and I didn't drink, 
So I ordered ice cream. And I had just converted my American money into shillings and pounds, English money. So when the bill came, the lady asked for francs. And I held out my English money, and I knew I was took. You're a smart man, though. So I took the dish and spoon home with me. Ah, there you go. But I have no idea where it's at. (laughs) I mean, that has nothing to do with the war. We were picked up four days later by a C-47 transport from England, brought back to the base, and then flew 22 more missions. But what happened in those four days when you when just you were laid around, just hanging out? You know, they no. didn't. The Germans didn't know where you were. There were German signs all over the field. We asked why, and this I remember. They said we let them up for sentimental reasons. The Germans had retreated. Yeah. So we had to wait, but uh, when we got back, we continued on, and bombed towns like Munich, Berlin, Frankfurt, Dortmund, Kiel. I can go on and on. Do you remember all of those missions, or is it sort of do they meld together? If you will? I have in the car, if you want it for later, I tried to think ahead, a list of all my missions, the holes in the plane, how many hours. When I kept it, I'm one of these kooks that writes stuff down. And the crew, to show you how it was then, said, what are you doing that for? We're not going to make it. Men were very, really? very fanatic. And But how old were you then when, when this 19. was? You were 19 years old. Absolutely. So you have all these kids. They're kids, right? you got kids in Ukraine right now doing the same thing. Absolutely. The oldest guy on our crew was our waist gunner. He was real old. He was 25. <laughs> What did you, at the time, did you know what you were doing? Did you know how much was on the line? Absolutely. You did. There was awareness of what Germany was doing. I mean, we obviously get, you know, into that war a little late. There had been a lot of action before the U.S. gets in. Uh, Good question. I'm in a documentary uh, called The Cold Blue. Right. That's on HBO, right? Huh? Is it on HBO Max out here? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I have not watched it, but I want to well, see this. Anyway, one of the questions on there uh, by the director of one of the guys, not me, he said, did it ever bother you about killing hundreds and thousands of people? His answer was, I never gave it a thought. I did what I was told, mm-hmm. either better them than me. And we went at that time from... Precision bombing, meaning the arch in St. Louis, Empire State Building Mm -hmm, in New York, to pattern bombing, meaning dropping on the center of St. Louis. And if you read history, that ended the war a year earlier. All of Germany was flattened. Wow. Wasn't nice. But in actuality, the thousands of people that we killed were less than if the war would have continued. Right, right. You know, I feel a lot of times I'm I'm a big fan of um, shamefully I've never read the book, but I've I've seen the uh, the series, the HBO series Band of Brothers, a couple of times, and I think that does such an exceptional job of showing the sacrifice and what a lot of this was all about. And I I would be lying if I wouldn't tell you, bud, that there are a lot of people like me who never had to serve. Uh, in a situation like that, I mean, th- the hardest sacrifice I make is I'm stuck in traffic in St. Louis or there's an ice storm. I mean, I, I say that in a serious way 
to um, point out that sometimes I, I have perspective on that, thinking mm -hmm. oh, I'm in a bad mood. I can complain about a lot of things in my life, but I, I don't. I try to have an appreciation of what people like you went through back then. If you would have been born, I had a guy say to me at an air show many years ago, I have all my flight gear, and he said, I could never have done what you did. I said, yes, you could. Mm -hmm. If you would have been born in 1925, as I was, patriotism in America was never as high, and it never will be again. Yeah. Thank you, God. It was terrible. Pearl Harbor... Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And speaking of what you said, um, Steven Spielberg has been working on a documentary very comparable to the Band, to of, Band Brothers. of Brothers. Right. Mm. It's about the Eighth Air Force. I have the book called Masters of the Air. I'm not too sure if he's going to call it that or the Eighth. I've been told by a good doctor friend of mine that it's coming out this summer. And it'll be, I don't know how many issues. Several episodes probably, but, though, right. Uh, naturally, I'm looking forward yes, to seeing it. Yes, absolutely. How many, now when you took this recent trip to Belgium, and Sue, if you have questions, uh, ask, please okay. ask. But when you took the trip to Belgium, were you with other survivors, other people no, that I you was served with, with or not? Two infantrymen and two Air Force guys. And this group, they're out of the East Coast. Uh, a lot of people, probably entrepreneurs that have money, they pay for everything. And a uh, good reason probably why there aren't too many of us left. Right. And we went to where the Battle of the Bulge was, and one guy, I got chills, went to a building, and they showed the picture during the war, all covered with snow. He went to the exact building that he liberated. Oh, wow. wow, that is cool. Talk yeah, about chills, and, right? Uh, I dedicated a monument with a B-17 propeller where a B-17 crew went down. They were killed. And uh, uh, it's a lot of emotion. Right. Wow. I mean, I don't think you never most forget. of us could never even comprehend those. Well, I know a lot of people come back from Vietnam vets in particular. They didn't, they didn't ever want to talk about any of that stuff that they saw. My older son was in Vietnam. I have six children, one's gone, 20 grandchildren. Last week I had my 28th great-grandchild. Do you have any great-great? Any great-greats yet? One great -great. Oh, my oh. goodness. Wow, look at and that. And if it were December, I'd say, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> hey, Bud, I've got a question for you. Yes, uh, what... Do, do, can you tell the most, the scariest moment that you had when you were uh, just a kid in World War II? What was the scariest and what was the most proud moment that you had? I've been asked that many, many times. Mm -hmm. If you ever meet anybody that was in a war, in combat, and they tell you they were never scared, you tell them they were full of prunes. Mm -hmm. I was scared every time. But I prayed, and God answered my prayers. I made it. But when somebody shoots at you, you get scared, mm -hmm. whether you're up 25,000 feet or in East St. Louis. And uh, what was your final question? What was, did you have a moment of uh, pride or uh, the yes. best moment of yes? In late April uh, of 45, the Germans occupied the Netherlands totally. I don't know if you remember, P. 
people don't. I asked somebody mm -hmm. in the bar, when did the Germans surrender? When was VE Day? It was May 8, 1945. The Germans knew the war was over, but to retaliate, they blew up all the dikes in Amsterdam, oh. The Hague, and The Delt. Eisenhower and Churchill and the powers-to-be decided to put plywood floors in our bomb bays. And we and the RAF, my group, I don't know why they picked my group, we dropped 111,000 tons of food to the people of Holland. Wow. They were dying at 5,000 a week, starving to death because they, and uh, this is gospel, eating tulip bulbs to stay oh, alive. Gosh. And uh, that was when I got home, sitting in the kitchen with my dad, I told him, Dad, the greatest thing about the war was how it ended for me. I finally was doing something good Yeah. in my heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saved a lot of people, but would you believe in a book I got, the Germans who were there confiscated over 50% of what we dropped. Did you were you ever exposed to to you saw enough horrible things but to some of the atrocities at the, at the camps? No, uh, I just it's so funny. When last week I went to Buchenwald. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Mm. I couldn't believe man's inhumanity to man. I even said to a couple of the Germans who weren't even born, how in the world could that not, excuse me, do that to people instead of fighting the war as he should? I saw, he told me how bodies were piled one on another. We saw the ovens. Oh. I mean, saw them, not in a book. And he said they just piled them in there. They had to do something to get rid of them. Oh. And we were only there a couple hours, thank God, because it's tough. You know, I, I shared something recently from a good friend of mine here in St. Louis. He, he gave me a speech, uh, the transcript of a speech that was delivered in 1978 in Kansas City at a Holocaust memorial. And it was his father-in-law who wrote this, um, this speech and delivered it and talked about his time in the camps. And the thing, the one story that that just jumps out at you when I reflected it on the air, and people have heard this a couple of times, is at one point they were in a room in, in Poland and the Nazis were trying to, you know, root the Jews out, and there was a baby there. The baby was crying. And the father snuffed out his own baby to save the lives of everyone else that was in that apartment in Poland. And you know that that didn't happen probably only that time. I mean, the horrors that people had to go through just to survive, bud. If you read history, uh, even though the Holocaust was terrible, in the Pacific, the uh, rape of Chongqing, China, the Japanese, in books, this isn't fiction, mm -hmm. would throw babies up in the air and catch them with their bayonets. Oh, my. Oh. That's, that's new. Oh. That had to be terrible. But I want to say this, if I may, to sum it up. I know you're getting close. I wrote a song for my bomb group for the guys that died. The 8th Air Force lost 28,000 men. We lost more. 28,000 men. We lost more than the Marines. And we had the highest casualty rate percentage-wise. It's nothing to brag about. Right. There were 12,741 B-17s manufactured. Anybody want to make a guess as to how many were shot down? 
10,000? Well, now, give Sorry. me a break. 4,000. You're very close. Over 5,000. We had a 40% casualty rate. Good grief. Yeah. But what I did in 1995, our reunion, which is no more, uh, was coming to Minnesota, and I felt so moved. And I dedicated this, if I may, to the guys that died. You heard the song, I'll Be Seeing You and All the Old, mm-hmm. to that melody. May I? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I'll be seeing you in all... Wrong song. I'll be seeing you on all the missions that we flew and also with our good old crew the whole day through. Enemy fighters and flak, the sound of loud ack-ack, and lucky we got back to our ground crew on that day we flew. I'll be seeing you on all those fields of green in your sleek flying machine. Oh, the one called Mighty Queen. I'm going to look for you in skies of blue. And when your flights are through, I'll be seeing you in my dreams. And I'll be missing you. That's it. Oof. That was amazing. That was really great. Uh, Bud Hedeke, how do you, a couple of questions here before we wrap up. I want to talk about patriotism. You mentioned patriotism. There was a poll that just came out that shows that we're at a very low level. Young people, I've said this, I think you've heard these discussions for years. You don't have an appreciation, um, some people, for the greatest generation, for the sacrifices. How do we bring or can we bring patriotism and love of country back? But I wonder the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of grandkids and great grandkids. Some are very patriotic. Some are come see, come saw. I have a couple of those. And I don't know. I sure as heck don't want to wish. I asked God, not another world war. Yeah. Because if it happens, guys, it's over. Mm-hmm. And I hope mankind is knowledgeable enough to know. I wouldn't have a whole lot of confidence in that, boy. Well, you've got to be positive. If you can't be positive in life, why live? And uh, we just hope and pray. Uh, We lost, uh, not the eighth, but America lost a little bit over 400,000 men in World War II. Who do you think lost the most? I'll tell you, Russia, millions. Followed by Germany, mm. and then England, and da, 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 you know, and Japan too. But uh, all I can say, as I said on the documentary, The Cold Blue, when you go to bed tonight, say a prayer of thanks to God for those 28,000 guys, 19 to 28, that didn't become fathers or got a chance to get married. And thank God for their sacrifices because you're living a good life today. Well, you just brought the whole table to tears, bud. Um, well, and I meant it from my I know heart. you did, and that, that was awesome. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for stopping by. How do you, what do you attribute your, uh, your excellent mental and physical health to at 98 years old in a month? 
Uh, God, I lost Muriel, my wife, 32 months ago. We were married 73 years. 73 years. And uh, I, I believe this in my heart. I think each one of us, God has a day for our birth and for us to go. And thank goodness we don't know. But uh, if we can do good while we're still here, let's do it. That's mm -hmm. about all I can say. And uh, as they say with the earphones on, da, 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 that's all, folks. <laughs> can, can you run for president, bud? Yeah. Because we need someone like you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, really. It's been an honor and a privilege. So great I to meet you. you. This so was much. an. I, I guarantee you, this is a conversation that people in their cars right now they did not want to turn it off. So, Bud Hedeke, thank you so much. That was really awesome and inspirational as well. I, I think I was going to make. I thought I was going to make a prediction. That, you know, this is such a good interview. It's going to be on the best of show at the end of the year. And what's amazing about that is it was. You know, that was about eight months ago yeah. in April, and he reminded me of something. A couple of weeks ago, I pointed out that Apple was going to roll out this series called Masters of the Air from Spielberg, Hanks, and Gary Getzman. They're like this, basically the same producing team that did Band of Brothers and The Pacific, and it is going to be based partially on the stories that you just heard from Bud, which Holy is incredible. Cow. It starts on Friday, January 6th. Now, I have not watched, I, sent, I just sent myself an email because I had not watched that documentary that he had mentioned. The He's, Cold Blue. And I, I think it's it on down. Max. But, Sue, you know, I've done interviews. I've been in radio since 1981. I've done interviews with people since 1983, so 40 years. That would be in the upper echelon of the top 2% of interviews that I've yeah. ever done. Not because of me, by the way. Right. But because he was unbelievably compelling. It's the type of conversation that my daughter's a little too young for that right now, mm -hmm. right? But I, I think if you're 14, 15, 16... Kids should listen to Agreed. him, right? Agreed. Instead of figuring out which gender stupid pronouns they're going to use, maybe listen to a little bit of history. To think that these were kids 19, 20, 21 years old. I mentioned this even in the aftermath because th this took place before I watched Band of Brothers again in November. You m remember I was watching it again. Oh, yeah, you were on but a there roll. But were, there were kids that, that lied about their age just to serve. That's right. So— uh, thank you, Bud. And uh, he's 98 now, and I hope to God that we can get him back on the air here ahead of Great. Masters of the Air, which is going to premiere here in just a few weeks. What's the conversation? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I had with uh, my friend Brian Kittrick, who's on PJ Tour Radio on Sirius XM, and it was 
the day before John Rahm switched to LIV, and we did talk about that, but mainly we talked about equipment changes and rules to the golf ball. I'm so confused right now. There's weird things happening in the world of golf, considering rules for the golf ball, and now John Rahm is ditching out to LIV. Brian Katrick from PGA Tour Radio with us, hopefully to explain it all tonight. Brian, how are you? Mark, it is an honor. I'm thrilled to be back with you, although, you know, somewhat controversial circumstances. Yeah, I would say, now I'm going to tell you, you know I'm a huge fan, uh, not only of golf, but I, I love listening to you guys on PJ Tour Radio, although my schedule doesn't quite coordinate with when you're on the show, Brian, anymore. But this whole thing with the golf ball, and even as someone like me who follows the sport and I watch the tour and I, you know, I pay attention, I don't really understand what's happening here, and I think it's caught a lot of people off guard. So can you explain what the USGA is doing with this rollback rule? Right. So the golf ball is the one piece of technology that has just continued to evolve and probably faster than anything else. Uh, you go back and you look at the, uh, the the irons that Tiger plays. They look very similar to the irons that Arnold Palmer played. Uh, now, the woods are different. We'll get to that. But it's it's the golf ball. You know, the iron heads that Tiger has look very similar to the iron heads that Bobby Jones played with. But But, you know, Bobby Jones had wooden shafts in his club. So lots of things have evolved, but nothing has evolved as fast or as effectively as the golf ball. So, uh, you know, what's happened is it takes more skill to hit a five iron than it does to hit a pitching wedge. But if the ball's going so far and these best players in the world can just continue to bash the ball out there long distances, then they don't ever have to hit too many five irons. Well, that's true. Yeah. And and so now what you've done is you've removed some of the skill from the game, the skill of being able to, to hit a shot uh, a different direction or a different trajectory or just with a longer, tougher-to-hit club uh, because you're now not hitting that club anymore. The, the only club you had to learn how to hit was the driver, which was the hardest club in the bag to hit, but over time has now become the easiest club in the bag to hit. So, uh, so hitting the center of the face doesn't matter. You've got this ball that goes a long way. So the amount of skill that it took to play the game in 1975 is less skill than it's going to take to play the game in 2025. Which is good for someone like me who has no skill. But when, when it comes to reducing the overall distance of the ball, so what specifically are they, are they doing? And what one of the stories I read says the decisions by the ruling bodies comes after nearly three years of notice and comment with equipment manufacturers and other industry stakeholders. So what was driving this? And then what specifically will happen? And this, by the way, this isn't just for tour pros, right? This, these changes would be for everybody? Yeah, there's a whole lot uh, going on there, right? So they announced that they were going to look into this in 2018. They had come to the conclusion, to a conclusion by the beginning of 2020. And about the time they were ready to announce their conclusion, there was a world shutdown. You may have, you yeah. may have heard about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you were all over it on this program, and so was everybody else. So they shut the world down. Uh, and and they didn't, you know, governing bodies widely said, let's let's leave this alone here for a little bit. And by the way, little wrinkle, uh, we were very, very blessed in the game of golf because we were outside. You didn't have to get anywhere near anybody. You didn't share any equipment. It was really nice and caused another boom to the game. Uh, so we get through that and they waited until now to go ahead and share what they what they found. And the idea is that you know, if the baseball had continued to change over the years, then you don't get to play in Yankee Stadium anymore. Now, the baseball changes every year, but it's it's controlled, and we don't play it on Saturdays, and and they the yeah, right, exactly. control over it. Yeah, you know, if they want, yeah, if they, and everybody plays the same one. In this case, 
the, the, the ball changes hadn't changed in 20 some odd years, yet the manufacturers continue to find a better way, you know, to make it. And the driver heads, as we said, kept getting bigger and more forgiving. So if you started to lose some of your classic ballparks, which is what was happening, then folks would panic. So, so that's what they did. And they said, look, we've got to, we got to put a stop to this. And the way they're doing it is it's the way they're testing the golf ball. The current golf ball is tested. It's get, it gets hit by a robot at, at 120 miles an hour of, of swing speed. Mm-hmm. They get the robot to swing at 125, 120 miles an hour, and the ball can only fly 317 yards. And at, at that speed, if you fly 300, it's, there's a three-yard plus minus, but we'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. You fly past that, it's illegal. So what they're going to do is they're going to make the robot hit at 125 now, but they're leaving the target the same. So now it's going to go five miles an hour faster, but the ball can still only go 317. All right. So what that means is that if your ball that you're playing today was up to the edge at 120, which you hoped that it was, when they swing at 125, it's going to go too far. And they, and the thought is your ball is going to fail. Uh, I saw one estimate that about 70% of today's golf balls will fail, which by the way, means you might have, might have one that doesn't fail. And then, then you get to kick yourself because you've been playing a ball that was shorter than everybody else. <laughs> But so what what I all of this maybe makes sense to me a little bit when it comes to professional golfers and tournaments but when it comes to amateur golfers so one of the things that I saw in um in some coverage if a tour player loses 5% or 15 yards on a 300 yard drive a recreational player might lose that same 5% on a 225 yard drive or roughly 11 yards so obviously we play uh, amateur golfers play from different tee boxes which sometimes you know addresses some of these issues but how how does that work for amateur golfers the same way it does for professional golfers well and that's it's such a great question mark and this is where i have been a fan of what they've announced up until this right here because there's no one listening to your show other than maybe Jay Williamson, who hits the, <laughs> Hi, Jay. Who, who hits the ball, quote, <laughs> too far. And even Jay doesn't hit it too far, but Jay knows what we're talking about. Everybody else does not hit it too far. Uh, so originally this was just going to be a, a decision to be made, and we're only going to use this equipment at the elite level, the professional and the elite level. Now, historically, golf has never had – a second set of rules to govern the professional game versus the recreational game. They've never had it. And you think in other sports, there's no other sport we keep playing. But when we do, we all have a second set of rules. Our Thanksgiving football game, we didn't have an offensive line out there. We had a five Mississippi rush. You know, golf has never had that. It's always the same thing. And all we do in golf is we choose to ignore some of those rules. If your ball, you don't like the way your ball is sitting in the fairway, you just kind of roll it over. Like I don't you know said. what you're you talking like about, the... Brian. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. That's never happened, right? You don't like the back tees, you move up a set of tees. Uh, we all understand what the differences in competition were. Uh, I feel like everybody got it. The governing bodies did not feel like that. And the manufacturers did not like that. The manufacturers felt like, and the players themselves also, if you were wearing a hat with a golf ball company's name on it, uh, you felt like, and you were a tour player, you felt like if the world knew you weren't playing the same ball they were, that the manufacturer was going to pay you less. And I completely disagree with that. You know I'm a NASCAR fan as well. We know that the Mustang that David Gilliland's, uh, Todd Gilliland is driving is not the same as the Mustang I have in my garage. But I love the team, and I love the brand, and I'm going to get the one that they'll sell me. That's exactly uh, right. Yep. Golf doesn't think that. So this is where I separate from where they have where they have. And been. I'm with you. I'm uh, with you on that. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we get it. And the thing is, there's no other no other example in all of sports. You know, I guess if we played football, I would wear the same helmet that Peyton Manning wore because I would need to. But I don't. You know, no, there's no other sport <laughs> that we do this in. Uh, and I think we all would have gotten it. And they don't, so they felt like they needed one rule across the entire game so you could measure yourself. You can already still measure yourself. And I don't want to pick on, again, I don't want to pick on any companies. Uh, so Golf Ball Company X, let's just pretend they're the number one ball company in golf. Uh, they've got three great golf balls that are available in stores. Well, they've got at least seven or eight great golf balls on the non-conform or on the conforming list that are allowed to be used on the PGA Tour. They got guys out there using a, a ball that they'll never sell, and it's not because it's hotter. It's because it's such, its launch conditions are so specific that it only applies to these guys. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't need right. it. You'd never buy it. So they don't even put it in the stores. And every every ball company's got that. And and we all already know that. You can't hit Scotty Scheffler's driver. My son's a huge Scotty Scheffler fan. But he's also six inches shorter than Scotty. His swing speed's 10 miles an hour less. And my son is left-handed. So he can't hit Scotty Scheffler's driver. But he loves Scotty Scheffler, and he wants all of his stuff. And so that's what he's got. So we as fans get this. They don't think that we as fans get get this, and that's why this rule has to apply to everybody. And that's the only part of this rule that I don't like. Yeah, wow. That's interesting, though. I love the explanation. Brian Katrick from PGA Tour Radio. Let me ask one more question. Oh, by the way, here's something interesting. I saw this in Golf Digest. They did a survey this week. 600 people responding. 64% said they would not abide by the rules that reduce the ball distance. So that's consistent with amateur golfers, I would say, based on what you were saying earlier. One more point of confusion here. This was in a Wall Street Journal story from a couple of days ago. It said, the bombshell rumor gripping professional golf whispers about number three, John Rahm, joining Saudi-backed Live Golf have become the talk of the sport. So, again, confused. I thought there was a little bit of a merger here. How does this work out with John Rahm potentially ditching out of the PGA? Help me out with that one. Right. So here's where all here's where all the bodies are buried. Uh, they, there is a potential. It's not necessarily a merger, but they are coming together. They got out of court. So uh, and the court was uh, court's lawsuit was dismissed with prejudice, so they can't sue each other anymore. Uh, that's nice. That saves the PGA Tour a ton of money. Live doesn't seem to have a money problem. Um, but the the announcement that they are expected to make was going to be by December 31st. Hey, we're getting together. We'll tell you how by December 31st. Well, what that means is that if they get it done, well, then technically, sort of, kind of, everybody's a live player. They say Liv will still exist. Who knows? We, we don't know what's going to come out of that room by December 31st, and a lot of folks don't even think it's going to happen by mm, December 31st. But if it does, everybody's a Liv player. Everybody can play both tours, which means these gigantic money offers are going to go away. You'll still get paid, and you're going to get paid handsomely. But the numbers, you know, the thoughts were I had heard $300 million, you know, the, the, the world had heard $300 million for Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, we heard 300 million for John Rahm. The number for everybody else was in the 100 million, 100, 100 to 25, something like that. Still, nothing. You're, you're going to get out of bed for that money. Uh, but if everybody gets together and everybody's friends, the number won't be anywhere near that anymore. John Rahm made 39 million dollars from the PGA Tour last year. He made 30 on the golf course and he made nine in the PIP. Uh, if it's a hundred million dollar deal and it's spread over four years. You're actually going to make more money as a PGA Tour player than you would as a live player. So that's, uh, th- these are all rumors, but that's why the rumors are going on. It's why they make sense. Again, the rest of it is John Rahm's agent 
uh, is Phil Mickelson's agent. So all the rumors start to check out or they, they start to make sense because, you know, could they get to him? Does, does he have a connection to that situation? Oh, yeah. And he has since the get-go. So, and if you're John Rahm, your last chance at getting $300 million yeah. just like that is to sign this deal before the agreement gets signed. But that works both ways. You know, Liv, Liv would have to know that, hey, maybe we don't have to throw this money at him. We might be able to get him for far less than that in a month. Interesting. So we'll see. Hey, how'd you, how'd you think Tiger looked last weekend? They looked great. Uh, the walking was great. Uh, he was only over par in one of the three rounds. Uh, I would like to have seen him be more under par. You know, you may not know. John and I did the event, so the 15th hole just took Tiger apart. Um, so a lot of rust, but he's healthy. He never once winced. He didn't limp. Uh, that guy looked good. That guy looked that's like he awesome. can win a PGA Tour event. Yeah. I, did got, I did not get a chance to watch watch any of it last weekend, but that's great to great to hear. Brian Katrick, thank you so much. And by the way, whenever I hear he referred to John, John McGinnis' partner on PGA Tour Radio, I always feel like, and this has to be true, that you're both sitting there doing the show in your Mark Reardon Show t-shirts that I sent you. That happens, right, on a regular Constantly. basis? Constantly. <laughs> yes. John, John changed his to a tank top. Oh, so, that, that's a yeah. great image, Katrick. Let me tell you. Brian, thank you so much for the updates. This helped quite a bit. We got a lot of fans of uh, certainly golf in the area. And what's funny about your Jay Williamson reference is I just saw him about six months ago, which is which they, is funny. They don't come any nicer than Jay Williamson. I don't He's know so him good. very well, but I had a chance to say hi. And I think every once in a while he does listen, Brian Katrick. Thank you so much. You have a great December, great holiday period. That was from a few weeks ago, and it was the day before Everything broke with John Rahm. So we were talking about that, and it was pretty much happening in real time. But there you go, another best-of interview on this Christmas week on The Mark Reardon Show. Audio Cut of the Day is coming up. Oh, I got a good one, too. One more day of best-of interviews. And uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, a little replay from an interview from a couple of months back with a guy by the name of uh, Matt Singer. Matt is a film critic, and he wrote a book about two of the legendary, most legendary film critics of all time, Siskel and Ebert. The book is called Opposable Thumbs, How Siskel and Ebert Changed Movies Forever, and Younger Generations Will Not Have an Appreciation for How Much Hollywood Was Influenced by These Two Guys. And they didn't like each other. They were both newspaper at competing newspapers, critics sometimes, and at the Tribune in Chicago. And they ended up getting paired on, uh, and I lived in Chicago at the time, on the uh, PBS station, Channel 11, I think it was, WTTW, if I'm doing that right. What is it here? What's the... the KETC, uh, what, Channel cha- 9. Channel 9, right. So I think I got that right up there. But um, Matt will be with us tomorrow for that interview that aired just a few weeks ago. I have an audio cut of the day coming up, and maybe I should just get to it because it is multi-tiered and faceted this afternoon. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. I'm going to get to a few things here, and I started this afternoon with this um, Eric Adams stuff. So Eric Adams and the mayor of Chicago, they're kind of in the same boat. They do not like the fact that they are sanctuary cities and they have opened their cities up welcoming in welcoming fashion to immigrants from all across the planet in any way, shape, or form. They don't care, right? Until they're flooding across the border by the millions, and then, wait a second, got to put the brakes on. So Eric Adams and his, you know, crack team in New York, they think this is the route that they're going to take with with putting a stop to this. Listen to this. To better coordinate these arrivals today, I'm announcing an executive order requiring charter buses transporting migrants those often contracted by the state of Texas to provide 32 hours notice in advance of their arrival into New York City. 
To make sure we have sufficient staffing, we are also requiring that these charter buses arrive only between 8.30 a.m. and 12 p.m. That's his solution. They're going to make it misdemeanors. If you if you do not follow this executive order, which is going to be shredded if someone tries to take this to court because it's utterly ridiculous and not legal. So that was one moment for today. Last night, Nikki Haley stepped into it. She's been trying to climb out all day on CNN. She had to answer a question that should have been a layup for her. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? Now, she doesn't mention slavery, and that was part of the problem here, and she tries to flip it around. I'm not president. I want to see your view on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government. In 2023, it's astonishing to me answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. So not the best moment for Nikki Haley, and she's been getting pounced on by Democrats and Republicans like Ron DeSantis and, and others all day long. And she did mention slavery, and she tried to qualify it today, but she also blamed that guy for being a plant. And, and by the way, in all likelihood, he probably was. He was a plant, but it doesn't matter. Not not a great way to handle that particular story. And this next one, Sue. I've saved this here for last. This is crazy to me. And and the audio comes from my former station in Milwaukee, WTMJ. And Vince Vetrano is a TV guy up there for many years. I knew him. He switched to morning radio a couple years back. And I think he did a good job with this interview. This is, this is nuts. The University of Wisconsin... Chancellor from Lacrosse, UW Lacrosse, which you know, like Mizzou has Umzel and UMKC. Sure. So UW Lacrosse Chancellor Joe Gow is his name. He has been fired by the University of Wisconsin System Board of Regents after they discovered videos posted on porn sites featuring him and his wife. Gao is 63. This is like the teachers in Illinois, right? But he's the chancellor of UW Lacrosse. He and his wife, Carmen Wilson, appear in videos on several sites. Sexy Happy Couple is their account name, a moniker used on at least two social media accounts. So they fire the guy. What's the response? By the way, they say the president, Jay Rothman, said his actions were abhorrent. What's the response to that? What would it be? I don't have a clue well, anymore. He says it's a free speech case, Sue. In that activity, which also includes writing books, um, and you know, these are serious works that we examine consensual adult sexuality so we would think that would be protected by the first amendment um but we don't identify ourselves we as being affiliated with the university or my role as chancellor those things are done as private citizens so many interviewers don't ask good follow-up questions and i won't air his question but i will tell you that mr vetrano who was hosting the show did a great job here because he said well wait a second <laughs> and this is what i would say and many of you are thinking okay well i'm i'm on this radio station right now but i can't do whatever i want because it may reflect poorly on the company right in this particular case can't you see how this reflects poorly on the uw system well let's say that we make that association and I'm an educator, and we have a concept called academic freedom and freedom of uh, thought and ideas. And so that's what we're operating under. So I think the board is not upholding, A, the First Amendment, nor is it upholding its own policy on academic freedom. Or is it upholding a very rich tradition at the University of Wisconsin of what's called the fearless sifting and winnowing in the search for the truth? So. There are some complexities here that I think people are overlooking. 
No, uh, no, no there. I that is stunning to me that he's trying to take the freedom of speech path. By the way, you know, look, I have. If I wanted, I won't do it to people, but let's just say that you can do it if you want. But here's the thing: people get this all, all they mangle it. And I think that um, what's her name from the Dixie Chicks is probably the best example of this. Natalie Maines. Thank you. And I like the Dixie Chicks, right? Like Natalie Maines, she's a good singer. But she opened her big fat mouth in London. And she said some things that she grew to regret. She had all the freedom in the world to say it, no doubt. But there are consequences for your actions mm-hmm. and your audience, your you know, your fans, your students, the people that are paying for the education. Your bosses might have something to say about that. So good luck, Mr. Gow, in your porn career. By the way, you probably make more money doing that than Chancellor of UW Lacrosse. But wow, how about those answers and the spin from that academic classic? 556, we'll talk tomorrow. At 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.